I'm Dean Mitchell, and this is KPMG's Forensic Lens, detecting lies, deception, and fraud in the world of business. What happens when deception strikes the share market? Over the past decade, big-name Hollywood movies have told the stories of what can happen when people set out to manipulate our markets. Companies can collapse, workers lose their jobs, and retirement savings can be lost. In this episode, we uncover how it happens and how we can respond. To help us understand what happens when deception strikes and markets are manipulated, we're joined by Global Head of Class Actions for Herbert Smith Freehills, Jason Betts. Jason, over the course of this series, we've heard a lot about individuals engaging in deceit and corporations engaging in deceit. But what happens when that deceit lands in the share market? What happens to the market and how does that play out? Yeah, excellent start to this discussion because I think when people talk about deceit and how it affects the share market, it's useful to step back for a moment and just think why we care about that. And it goes back to those old principles that modern economies like ours have learned through bitter experience that theoretically, the more information you have in the market, the more accurate the market estimates of value are. And that's what an efficient market is. I like to think of that as the circulating blood in an economy's vital organs. You know, it grows, it gets stronger, and the better the information is. In really efficient markets, the theory is that everyone, all traders get the information at the same time. And so there's limited information that can be used in an insider sense. And there's not much chance for arbitrage, but that market probably doesn't exist. So what can affect our markets through deception is probably useful to categorize in three ways. One is, as everyone knows at this stage, insider trading, where you've got insider sensitive information, you're trading to make profits with it. Another also extremely famous in Australia now is when listed up companies are not disclosing material information. So they're breaching what we call the continuous disclosure rules. And then the third, which is a form of, I think, activist short selling is when you're spreading false information intentionally to advance a position. Persons who can take short positions in financial products and then by publicly disseminating bad information, they generate profits. And so all three have a couple of effects that the obvious one is that the market's not trading efficiently, so values aren't accurate, and that's cutting off that blood flow. But there's a domino effect, I think, which is that people lose confidence in, in the market. When you've lost confidence as an investor in a market, you've actually got obstacles for the economy generating cash investment. You create an unfair market. Businesses don't want to raise capital in that market, which sounds a little intangible and airy-fairy. But when you've got insider trading, for example, not only does that affect investors' confidences, but it can disincentivize the retail economy or that circulating blood isn't happening. And so you find an absence of the building blocks to grow the economy. So it's a, that is why lawyers, economists, and the broader community are so obsessed with ensuring our market has as little deception in it as possible. And it's not about, or it's not just about the big end of town, is it? Because mum and dads have shares. Australia has one of the per capita highest share ownerships in the world. So when the market skews, then everyone loses out, right? Mum and dads, everybody. Exactly. I think it is easy to think of this as a corporate concept, but where you have any sort of market manipulation or deception, it is going to have eventually, if not controlled, an economy wide impact. And our laws are really clear on that. And that's why our law has developed so significantly around market deception. 
the whole idea of us, for example, having a continuous disclosure obligation in Australia is to enhance the integrity and efficiency of our capital markets. That's it. It's not because there's some underlying moral centre to telling the truth. That's all good stuff. But it's to ensure the entire economy is running efficiently. At its absolute extreme, you could say these concepts are sort of fundamental to our democracy because they build the economy around which all those structures are built. Jason, we've been talking there about deception and what goes wrong. Are there some specific cases that stand out to you over your career? A couple of years ago, there was a decent Australian example of how a market manipulation can hit home. It was a case that actually went to trial or at least through the interlocutory process by a plaintiff against the defendant. The plaintiff was called Rural Funds Management. They were a responsible entity for a couple of registered managed investment schemes that were trading on the market. And in the middle of 2019, an activist short seller emerged. Their name was Bonitas and this got a bit of publicity. It launched a fairly concerted course of conduct which was designed to make statements and disseminate information about RFM that was not true, was scathingly critical of the way those entities were being run. And in fact, it went as far as to accuse RFM of engaging in dishonesty and fraud. The whole intention here was to drive down the price of units in those schemes, and it worked. That conduct caused a very significant drop in the traded price of the units, something close to 42% loss of value over a few days. So the target, RFM, correctly requests a trading halt, and it issues a statement rejecting all of those claims. It even went to the trouble of getting an independent investigation conducted of those claims, which was a smart move because that came back with a clean bill of health. They got an accounting firm to do that work. And so they then sued Bonitas, the short seller, and they alleged that it was just engaging in a essentially a misleading and basically reckless campaign of disseminating information to drive value. And that's, as we know, that's against the Corporations Act. It went to the Supreme Court of New South Wales. The court agreed with that characterisation, in fact, went further and said Bonitas didn't even care whether what it was saying was true or not. And I think that's an important case because while those cases aren't necessarily common, that decision from 2019 could be significant given we're seeing an increase in complaints now going to ASIC concerning similar attacks from overseas-based short sellers. And that's increased significantly since 2019. And there have been, in fact, been calls from broader corporate Australia, our client base, for ASIC to take more aggressive action to address that kind of market manipulation and in particular short selling, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little later. ASIC has not warmed to stricter regulation here. They have said basically do what that company did, which is to produce better information, more accurate information and let the market decide for itself. But there's a fear factor to how easy it can be in blatant disregard of the law to drive value. And if you're sitting offshore, you maybe have a level of protection from the Australian law that you wouldn't if you were here. And for people not overly familiar with the share market, short selling effectively just means people are investing in a particular way and betting that that share price will fall. Now, how does short selling itself is not illegal, but manipulating the market is? Where is that line on short selling and deceit? Excellent question, because the line is not as clearly drawn as certainly as the law would always like, let alone the market. And so just to try to draw a red line between short selling and everything else, 
and I know for this very sophisticated audience, this is a little bit of an oversimplification, but just dealing with short selling, you've got two types. On one hand, you've got a situation where a person executes a short sale, relies on some existing security arrangement that they've got in place that allows them to exercise a right to vest the security. So sometimes called a covered shorts sale, totally permitted under the Corporations Act. The other kind, you've got a practice of short selling the securities without any lending arrangement in place. So sometimes called naked short selling because you don't have the cover prohibited in Australia, unless it falls within certain exemptions that we won't go into today. It's important to have that prohibition to to safeguard against those knock-on effects we were talking about earlier to ensure there's no disorderly market. But naked short selling is a major part of where the line is drawn. And when you see activist short sellers, you really start to see how prices can be distorted against a target, which is really doing nothing in terms of information to change its valuation. So short reports from an activist are often released during trading hours, and that gives it maximum impact and an immediate effect on price. And if enough traders short the stock, it sends a message to the market that there's a problem with the value of this security. So how that translates into the economy is these very unfortunate slogans called pump and dump, which is an activity when you're buying shares in a company, it starts an organised campaign to seek to increase, pump the share price up. They do that on social media. They do that on online forums to create a sense of excitement about the stock and then they dump it, hence making their profit. Or alternatively, short and distort. And that's illegal. That's a trading scheme that involves selling short the shares of a company and then spreading negative rumours in order to influence the stock price downwards. It's very hard to draw the line here. And there's often a lot of misdirection. And this is a really important point for commercial lawyers and for the broader economy. Just because a company is being shorted does not necessarily mean that there's been some deception in the market or that there's some problem with the company's value or its securities. Sometimes people think if a company's being shorted, then ah, the market's worked out some true position that no one else knows. And so sell, 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 but that's not true. Sometimes you just get shorted and there are companies that are heavily shorted, but it definitely doesn't mean that the company's wrong. Reasonable minds can differ about forecasts. And so there's a line there, which identifies totally benign conduct, which is extremely bad for the company still, but not illegal. So that's where you see shareholder class actions really start to bite because if you've got that combined with allegations of non-disclosure, the stock runs, huge values, you've got ASIC involved, you've got a private shareholder class action involved, it gets very messy. For many people, the first time they would have heard of short selling was probably early last year when something very famous happened in the US with GameStop, a games retailer. An ongoing battle between bullish day traders and hedge fund short sellers that have bet against the stock. GameStop shares have now risen some 700%. That was a really interesting example of manipulation in a different way, wasn't it? Really was, and it's famous. And so it's a good way of thinking about market manipulation, but it's also pretty unusual. GameStop was just a bricks and mortar game retailer. Its performance had declined steadily over a decade because obviously everyone's shifting to online gaming and online shopping. And so it wasn't unusual to see the value of those stocks decline. But then in January 21, out of nowhere, its stock increases by 140% and it's being sold short. And what happened was it was initially triggered by a group of 
I'm not even sure I fully understand what subreddit users are, even as I sit here today, but they're out there and they thought this stock's undervalued and there's a large number of shorted shares would allow them to orchestrate a, a short squeeze. So what they did was, and famously, the response to this was the stock price started to increase and it eventually got to the point where it had increased by 1500% over the course of two weeks. And you've got buzz on the internet and people are actually being encouraged to join the movement and engage in market manipulation, which is not something you see every day. And in fact, it got to the point where not just retail investors, but hedge funds are purchasing shares in GameStop. Nothing was happening with GameStop that would justify that. It hadn't changed anything about its structure or operations that would justify that value increase. But then it got really weird because many amateur investors were actually totally ambivalent to the fact that they were engaging in activity that was arguably illegal. And this wasn't the traditional pump and dump or short and distort concepts we were talking about earlier. There was actually not a lot of false or misleading information put into the market. People were extremely transparent about their strategy. Instead, this was just an activist community looking to punish hedge funds who were shorting stock, short sellers. And so it was sort of got pretty confusing because there was a, almost a political or democratic sort of a movement created around that. Anyway, while existing shareholders and third parties were experiencing significant gains, short sellers and many retail investors were suffering losses. So this was sort of a payback to short selling. I think what it showed us is our markets are much more vulnerable than we would like to think. And that is why Australia in particular takes very seriously its market integrity laws. And that's why ASIC is, you know, sort of in part leading the world in trying to make those laws as tight as possible. With our superannuation schemes embedded in our share market, maybe there's a self-interest there not to engage in this kind of conduct as much, but what happens globally invariably affects Australia. And so we have to be alert to the GameStop kind of example. You're right. It showed how the market can be so easily manipulated. And when we think about continuous disclosure, so where a company obviously has to share information in certain conditions with the market, how common is it for not only a company not to share information, but for a company to intentionally withhold information so that protects their position or protects the share price? Is that common in Australia or uncommon? So two answers. One, it is very common to see shareholder class actions commenced, which allege almost exactly what you've said, a close to intentional withholding of material information. We have one class action filed in Australia every week and 20 to 50% of those are around the securities and corporate governance space. So those allegations are common, but is it happening in fact at the level of intentionality? Very uncommon. I mean, the criminal and civil penalty exposure for intentionally withholding information from the market if you're a listed entity is extreme. Australian corporations are probably the most sophisticated in the world around continuous disclosure. We're one of the few economies that has a very unique combo of a true continuous disclosure requirement. The minute you have material information go to market, strict liability for misleading conduct. So if you say something without a reasonable foundation, it's against the law. The highest rate of adult share ownership in the world, as you said earlier, and very few economies combine all that. We've also got a, an American style class action regime. Litigation funding is legal. And now we have contingency fees in Victoria. So for a company, and believe me, there are, are none or few that say, I'm going to intentionally withhold 
information from the market, it is inviting the end of that company's viability. The vast majority of Australians have some interest in the share market, whether that be owning shares in their own right, more than 50% of Australians do that. And for the rest of the population, there's obviously a superannuation where a lot of our retirement funds sit. Does that level of share ownership impact the level of or the lack of deception that you're talking about, do you think? It is relevant. We've got the sort of um, economy where market interference is going to have six, seven, eight layers of consequence. And that might be an explanation of why we've seen comparatively little active or short selling compared to our global analogues. But it also may be a product of the fact that we've just got some of the strictest regulatory structures in the world around these matters. As I said, not many people realise that unique combination of law, economics, economic reality. And so we've got an environment that really doesn't permit people to easily get away with market manipulation. Doesn't mean it isn't happening. It's only one of the highest priorities for ASIC over the last decade. And the consequences are not just the obvious ones. For example, the growth of the shareholder class action market in Australia, which has prosecuted claims that companies have been withholding information from the market, which is a very short step away from a form of market manipulation. Those kinds of claims have been so significant that in part they've dislocated the insurance industry for those kinds of claims. We've seen the evacuation of a lot of side C insurance for that very kind of claim. So we, you think of the moral of the story, it's not just having an economy that's functioning well, but all of those knock-on effects throughout our layers of our corporate governance in Australia are very real. Deceit in the share market can lead to corporations losing billions and everyday people losing a significant chunk of their life savings. But what happens when these lies go digital and organised crime groups from across the world focus their attack vectors on Australia? Next episode, we'll be joined by Professor Alex Frino, Senior Deputy Vice-Chancellor at the University of Wollongong and two-time Fulbright Scholar. We'll explore his new research showing how Australian companies are losing more than $2 billion a year from cybercrime attacks and how cybercrime is leading to an increased risk of war as we explore digital deception. If you'd like to know more about how KPMG works with organisations to prevent deception and restore trust, head over to our website by searching KPMG Forensic. I'm Dean Mitchell and this is KPMG's Forensic Lens. See you next time.